0: Hey everybody, this is Bevan. Uh, Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. This is my co-host, Biscuit Reynolds, who has declined to appear in this episode so far. Um, Today I wanted to talk about, I haven't done a solo episode in a long time, and part of it is just because I've been working through a lot and like trying to figure out who I am and what I'm doing in this lifetime. But also, uh, I don't know. Whatever, you lay fallow for the times that you need to lay fallow. But I thought this was an important episode because I actually know many people right now who are going through the process of experiencing cancer alongside your loved one as a primary support person. Um, I had the experience of walking through breast cancer with my ex-fiance, the treatment of which was probably about a year, almost a year from diagnosis to finished treatment. But, um, the experience of our entire partnership was, um, was flavored by that experience. Right. Um, and I think I just wanted to share my heart about the experience of it and like what I found helpful and in hindsight, like what I wish I had known more about in order to like help anybody out there who might be going through this. I also have a couple of blog posts about the cancer experience, um, that I published, closer to when this was all going down, because this was like 2013 through 2014. Um, So almost 10 years ago, it's wild. Time will march on. Time's gonna go by whether you're planning for it or not, so you might as well be intentional, right? Um, Anyway, so I'll put links to those um, also uh, in the show notes for this episode. But the first thing that I think everyone experiences that I think is the most maddening about the cancer experience, and it was very different going through it as a caregiver versus just as a friend of someone who had cancer. I've had lots of friends who've had cancer, um, who've both survived cancer and who have died from cancer um, as an adult, but like it was night and day to being in the thick of it with somebody. Um, I was fortunate at the time to be working from home and for myself. So I was able to go to every single one of my partner's doctor appointments and chemo infusions. Um, I didn't go to all the radiation appointments, those were daily. Um, and they were all the way on the Upper East side and I was living in Brooklyn, so it didn't really make sense. But by then it was like a little bit more routine. Um, so walking through all of that was a lot. Um, I want to talk about uncertainty now and a little bit later in this episode, cause I've actually been learning a lot about uncertainty. Um, recently that's kind of a big thing I've been talking about in therapy a lot. Um, shout out to therapy, but uncertainty, like as soon as you get a cancer diagnosis, there, it's like the TSA door in the airport. Like once you walk through it, you can't go back out. Um, I, the anxiety that you get, uh, that's a word I learned from a cancer survivor. Like every time you have to go back in for a scan, the anxiety comes back of, is the cancer back, right? Um, and I know people who have had cancer and survived it. And I know people who have had cancer, survived a couple rounds of cancer. And then the third round is what took them out. Um, life is one of those things where it's like uncertainty is life. We don't get out without uncertainty. Like, it's just um, something that I think frequently we think we're avoiding it. And there's this like sense of safety that um, we buy into. Uh, Like think about a job, right? It feels really safe, but like when you realize that you're an at will employee, you can get laid off or fired at any moment that's not actually certainty. That's just temporary, um, experiences of safety, right? Like, and so I think there is an element of, um, reckoning that comes with the uncertainty of a cancer diagnosis. Like, hopefully we'll make it, you know, like, let's go step by step. Um, high five for self-care. I just drank some water. Um, so, Stay hydrated, that's, that's my anti-cancer tip for you. I've actually learned a lot, oh my God, because like when I'm feeling uncertain, I wanna lean into what I can control, which like knowledge, sure. I'm a Capricorn with a Virgo rising. I wanna learn it all. And so I really leaned into learning a lot about what prevents cancer, what prevents cancer reoccurrence. Um, hydration is a big one. Um, obviously how you nutrient yourself is part of that too and um, i read a really great book called cancer hates tea um, and it talked about how tea which i love um primarily green tea actually is like an incredible antioxidant source that actually fights cancer cancer loves sugar so if you're willing to lean into tea um, and release sugar that gives you more of a chance but i also have learned that your body treats sugar uh, treat stress like sugar. So it elevate like when you're under stress, it elevates your blood sugar levels. So it's like, you could have eaten a cupcake or you just stress yourself out. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things when you really learn how like our, our physiological bodies, like with the nutrition that we actually need versus what, um, mainstream, whatever wants to teach us. Um, you learn a lot about that kind of stuff. So, um, something, okay. So, there was a lot of uncertainty in the early part of the diagnosis, partially because there's nothing they could tell us. Like they, we knew there was a lump. Uh, we didn't know yet how big it was or what was in it until surgery happened. So we had to wait until surgery happened. And even then, like, I will also say caretaking someone or loving someone who's going into surgery is such a powerless feeling. It was really like um Her dad had gone through treatment for stomach cancer, which he passed away right after her last chemo treatment. It was really devastating um and he had had cancer five years previous, and so he eventually passed away from side effects of the treatment that he got for the stomach cancer so it's like not it, the cancer didn't get him, but it sorted of it right um and so her mom and dad were with us for the first surgery and i couldn't like as soon as she was wheeled out i was like i can't believe you went through this 6 times cuz he had 6 different cancer surgeries um and then of course like we're waiting for the results to come back and when and like really excited to find out like what's the treatment schedule going to be cuz we wouldn't know that until the surgery stuff came back so it comes back and it's we have to go back in again so they had to do the whole surgery again because the margins weren't clear which meant that there was still cancer Or precancerous cells on the outside of the lump that they took out so they went back in we had a whole nother surgery it wasn't the big hullabaloo like it was the first time um, because people didn't fly out for it Um, but it was the same exact thing but what was helpful is I had already been through it right we had already walked through that so we kind of knew what to expect so Once you, it's like I say in my aerobics class all the time, it's like, we cheer for awkward because when you're out of your comfort zone, you're doing something new, that's where you grow. Um, And so sometimes when you go back through something you've already been through, you have the confidence of the experience of having done it before. So it felt like that was kind of helpful. Having already gone through the surgery, it was just, it felt, I mean, it's still like, I don't know if my, my loved one's gonna be okay on the other side of surgery, but she was, and I was grateful for that. Um, and then after that second surgery, we finally found out, okay, it's going to be chemo with this kind of drug for the first six weeks and then chemo with the second kind of drug for the next six weeks. So I'm pretty sure it was three months total. Um, something that I, uh, wanted to talk about this was just like caretaking the caretaker, um, because caretaking, um, is actually really hard for a lot of us. I'm pointing at myself. Um, because you're in control when you're giving. Like, people overgive sometimes because they want to control. Um, and that's, you know, a fear response. It's a perfectionism response. It's uh, some uh, just a way to, like, control your environment if you've had an experience of, like, you know, trauma where you were not in control of what was going on, right? And so I've had to really learn how to receive in this life. That has been an ongoing lesson. And so uh, when you're caretaking someone else, I want you to make sure that you are giving care to yourself not just self-care but also like requesting the care Um, a friend of mine uh, did this little like PSA about when you go to the emergency room there's the person having the emergency the person supporting the person in the emergency and then ideally you have a third person who's supporting the person who's supporting the person in the emergency because there's so much you need right like we're not we're humans are interdependent by nature like we're supposed to be Connected to each other we're we're ideally supposed to be living in villages of about 150 to 200 people like that's how our bodies are wired We're wired for human connection The reason why we're bipeds meaning we walk on two legs is because we were able to evolve because we were tribal because um, mothers or gestational parents uh, Next three months after you give birth is like very vulnerable and could not be survived unless people were bringing food and providing protection right like that's just how it used to work um and so evolutionarily like we're stuck like this we're stuck needing each other I know it's so much easier to be um separated from humans and all of their traumatized ways um but I think the work is discernment and compassion and how to carry both of those things um and be kind to ourselves and give ourselves what we need um in order to support people our best and so as a caretaker i would suggest um getting help um even if you think oh i can handle it i put together uh one of those meal things um for my partner and what was super helpful about that was that it gave uh, first of all it was like precursor to COVID times because we had to be very immuno aware uh because her immune system was suppressed right and so like we had to be really aware of like if you're sick don't come like right? Like, because I don't want her to die because a friend came to visit. But um, we did that. And it was nice because it gave me like two or three hours where someone would be there to connect with her. She's an extrovert. So she needed that kind of um, energetic attention. I'm more of an introvert, kind of an ambivert. And so I needed the downtime. I needed the um, ability to go out and run around and do whatever I needed to do. And it's not like she needed full-time care or anything like that. But I was kind of handling all the household stuff. Um, and running a couple of businesses and like living my life. So um, I was really glad I did that, even though I hesitated to like set something up. Um, it did make sense and it was a great way for her to stay connected to friends and for her friends to help out with something. Um, Cause you know, it's it, the basic human need, the, Here's the thing about being sick, being sick is like a full-time job, navigating the health system, navigating insurance, uh, all of that, right? And so like as much, as many hands as you can can make light work, right? So just setting that up. I also, um, I got a lot of good resources from people and um, there was a thing called the Lesbian Cancer Initiative in New York at the time. And so they provided free counseling. So um, I got a counselor for the first time. I'd never had counseling before. um, And I had a counselor for that experience. And it was so helpful to have someone who I didn't have to explain the gay stuff to and I didn't have to explain the cancer stuff to. And who, in fact, could explain a lot of cancer stuff to me because she had so much experience working with patients who were caregivers of folks with cancer. Um, And she said something to me that I have never forgotten, which is that my partner didn't want to go to a cancer support group because she was worried it would be full of naysaying cancer people. And um, (laughs) my therapist was like, oh, that's all a lot of hubris to say that because she's like my experience people approach cancer the way they approach their life so some people are optimists and have an optimistic outlook and our our family ethic around that time me and my partner was like full optimism like full positivity and like on the edge of spiritual bypassing which i didn't even know what that word meant at the time um but on the edge of like just being so positive we're not looking at anything but like it was what she needed in order to feel like she could keep fighting and so I respect people who know what they need and um but my therapist was like yeah like there's lots of positive people who deal with cancer and there's negative people and they're not necessarily always in the same group so like anyway so that's something interesting and when she said that to me I started like really sitting back and like kind of observing the people I saw going through cancer and I was like yeah that tracks like people really do approach cancer the way they approach life um the thing that I would suggest anybody, whether you have the cancer or you're the supporter of people with cancer is asking what's the lesson in this for me, because we are always presented with things with lessons. And I think when we have soul contracts with people that I believe we signed before we even show up on the earth plane, which by the way, the earth, of all the places we can incarnate earth is the hardest. So if you're a person who's on some kind of personal growth plan and like wants to grow, you're in the top 2% of people on earth, right? You pick the hardest place and you're choosing to grow and learn your lessons. Um, a lot of people give up and don't learn any lessons. So, um, if things are coming up and if things are coming up again and again, that's a really great opportunity to just sit with your journal and just be like, what is the lesson? And that's for me. Um, and to lean into that. Um, I would also trust like not just taking breaks, but like trust your capacity. Like you can't be everything for one person. And like, you can try, but you will fail, right? Like you kind of got to only give from your overflow, in my opinion. Um, I've definitely given, I never had that, like when when I was doing this cancer caregiving, I didn't have that frame of mind. Um, And I would do stuff like I'd have a self-care day where I'd like go take a yoga class and then I would have like a full panic attack after the yoga class and like feel this like massive anxiety. And I'm like, I just did yoga. Why am I feeling like this? And what it turned out is that I have this great trauma response where I can, I'm your girl in a crisis. I do not feel my feelings when it doesn't feel safe to feel them. And so, but what is always true about your emotions is that they have to be felt at some point. And in order to heal, you have to hurt. You have to feel those feelings. And so um, I was, I rested and relaxed my body enough so that I could feel safe to feel all of the, the panic and anxiety I wasn't feeling at the time when I was going through it. Um, so first of all, that was my first experience taking a Klonopin <laughs> I had a friend who was just like, take this. And I was like, wow, this actually does feel better. Um, but I also know it's better to just like process your feelings as they come through and to be more of a safe place for that. Um, and now as someone who is like living a chill life and really working on healing my nervous system, I feel things coming through that are stuff I couldn't feel 30 years ago. So like, you know, part of healing is the process of like, oh, my body is safe now for these feelings to come through. Isn't that a compliment? In some ways. Um, anyway, just being okay with any feeling that comes through is actually really beautiful. But getting the emotional support, that's what was really helpful with that experience with that therapist was like going through all of the things, right? Like it is incredibly hard to think that your loved one might die imminently from a thing. And here's the truth about death. Um, only 10 to 20% of death isn't anticipated. Everything else is something you get a little bit of a heads up on. So I think in some ways it can be very sacred and beautiful to recognize the death process like a birth process where there is, like with a birth, typically you get some lead time to anticipate the birth and the shift from going into the portal between life and death, right? And like bringing that new entity into the world, right? Um, And I think we would, we meaning society, uh, we meaning all of us, uh, growing here together, uh, would be better served to look at death as a life process and an actually really beautiful one at that, um, which gives us a lot of, uh, perspective, I think. Um, and I think also as a person who by the time I was in my thirties had lost so many friends, I, uh, have a different perspective on like temporality and like how precious every present moment is and how unique every present moment is, even if it feels like it's the same thing all the time, like then something like cancer will show up and change everything, right? Um, The process of, oh man, I had to learn how to not take stuff personally too. Like I remember one time I did all this effort to like make a little chemo picnic for our chemo day. And then of course my partner got sick um, from the picnic, you know what I mean? And it was just like, I can't take that personally. Like, that's just the way her body is like literally shutting down because, oh man, the head nurse at the chemo center in Brooklyn that she went to, this is, we went through, um, I want to say it was Sloan Kettering, but now I'm like not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure it was Sloan Kettering in New York city. Very good cancer organization, really good culture. Like the people were super nice. Um, but the head nurse at the infusion center that we were going to said, we're going to look back on this in 100 years and see it as barbaric the way we see leeches and bloodletting now and i agree actually and it's funny cuz the re- we had, weren't like 100% sold on doing chemo i mean i was going to support my partner doing whatever she wanted to do but like we wanted to like kind of explore other options But when we met with the oncologist after the surgery, so like you get a surgeon, you meet with the surgeon, you have surgery, and then you meet with the oncologist who then sets up like chemo and radiation, right? And then you meet with a radiologist. Um, And so the oncologist said, this is your shot at having curative care. If you get cancer again, we're gonna call it palliative, uh, which is just uh, making it easy for you to die and like that those words sold chemo immediately that was like it was like i don't know how much the insurance company paid for all that chemo but it was probably a hundred thousand dollars easily um and that was the sale you know and so uh what i would do now and what we talked about actually years later is i would not myself get chemo i've just seen what it does to people's bodies and that's not how i want to live i would choose to fight uh, with cannabis and plant medicines um not with uh, poison. And that's just my, my preference from having walked through it with somebody so intimately. You know, I, don't, I just don't think it's worth it. Um, I don't think the quality of life is there. Um, and I don't think the um, the long-term benefits are there. Uh, after the cancer experience and the cancer um, treatment was over, uh, the drugs she had to take uh, to prevent a recurrence of breast cancer was, um, and I don't remember, I know her like, she was like stage two borderline stage three um i remember the the tumor was 2.7 inches and i don't remember anything else about like the specifics of what kind of cancer she had but um it was it was just so rough you know and like then the the drugs ended up creating a condition in her uterus where like um she was going to be at high risk of uterine cancer so we had a uterine cancer scare and then they said well let's just take the uterus out but they never mentioned an oophorectomy which is your ovaries and you're more likely to get ovarian cancer if you've already had breast cancer um and i was like why wouldn't they suggest that you know what i mean i'm like just take them all out um and i had heard this (laughs) When I was a lawyer, I heard this in a real estate closing once. I got a lot of good wisdom in real estate closings. This woman was like, if you ever, get a ut- if you ever have a hysterectomy, have them take the ovaries out too because it's not worth the hormonal meow meow that you deal with. And so I was like, that little nugget <laughs> of information like sailed from my days in New York uh, to me in LA. This is when that was happening. Uh, and I was like, you've got to get the ovaries out too. So I'm glad all of that happened at once. Um, But a hysterectomy is also no joke. It's another lengthy surgery and it's a lengthy recovery process. Um, But I'm glad that happened too. But it was just like another cancer scare because of the meds she was taking to prevent a recurrence of breast cancer. So um, anyway, it's just like perpetual uncertainty, perpetual anxiety that we have to learn how to live with and how to thrive in spite of. And that's kind of what I've continued to do, honestly, in terms of following my own spiritual flow and resonance path is like, how can I um, regulate my nervous system in spite of not being, not having that quote unquote certainty? You know what I mean? Like I went to law school because I wanted to have a path. I wanted to have a thing that I could say that I was doing. And I really regret that now instead of learning and building those uncertainty muscles back when I was in my 20s, you know? And like but I don't think I had the the strength to do something different at that time. I just don't, I don't think, I think I've been training to be an outsider my whole life. And like, I'm finally like really leaning on those skills um, to just be like, it's okay if I do things different than people. Um, and it's okay if my path doesn't make sense to anybody but me. And it even kind of doesn't make sense to me most of the time. But um, my relationship with my intuition um, only gets stronger. And so I trust that there are things that are keeping me safe and, um, helping me know what I need to know. And, um, that I know that also that I will never abandon myself again. And I did a lot of self abandonment in that relationship, um, that I'm talking about now. You can listen to episode two that'll tell you everything you need to know, but I did learn a lot in that relationship. And I did, I will say this, our shared value in our partnership was fun. Like we were all about making things fun. Like um, so every time we made it a game actually. Every time we had a doctor's appointment, we would try to take a funny photo, which like just like it gave us something to do. It kinda of distracted us. Um and I think humor is a really beautiful way that we get through life. And like honestly, like once I turned forty, I was like, I am not interested in people that are not making me laugh. You know what I mean? I just want to laugh more in the rest of this life. It's not worth it. It's not so serious as I once thought it was. Um in fact, fun is serious. It's important. It's one of my core va- values even still. So I think finding ways to create, uh, the cancer journey as an adventure, um, is really helpful. Um, but also like remembering that, like, it does, it's not all up to you, you know, like it's not, um, yeah, it's, I really, I took it all on my shoulders <laughs> as a, as a good Virgo rising Capricorn sun, you know, like I took it all on my shoulders. I took a lot of responsibility, um, which i I felt like I needed to do at the time and I don't think I needed to do it, Um, but I don't know. It's like this, it's the good girl thing when you're raised to believe, oh, if you're just good enough or perfect enough, you'll be safe, you know, all of that. So um, let's see, what else is in my notes? Uh, Oh, a needs assessment. Um, This is something I did when I was trying to figure out how to um, get support, uh, rally the community for support. Um, was just like going through and kind of figuring out what your needs are are your needs meals are your needs to have the dog walked because honestly that was just really helpful to just not have that on our plate um, uh, meals things like that like just like really getting clear about like what are the needs and then what are the things I have to take care of versus what can someone else take care of and um, I learned this nugget this is true for delegation um, not just in cancer treatment but in like in Employment and all of those things. is like, if someone can do it 80% of how you would do it, that is plenty enough. Right. Um, and then also if you're delegating something, um, 10, 80, 10, which is getting someone started spending the first 10% with them and like helping them figure it out, letting them keep going for the next 80% and then joining in for the last 10%. Right. And I think it's the same for laundry as project management, like that can help, get things going in the way that is most helpful for you. Um, I think that's, I think that's everything I had on my notes. Um, I hope this helps. Like, I don't know, like nobody ever died of awkward and nobody ever dies of uncertainty. It just is really hard to bear unless you have tools, um, to do it. My favorite thing to do, um, when I'm feeling uncertain about things is just to dance and to get in the present moment and just be mindful. And mindfulness is really just being present where you are. Um, and yeah, I think uh, getting more, it was helpful for me to hear a lot of people's cancer experiences. So I hope that this helps somebody out there. Um, the best way to support this podcast is through my Patreon page, patreon, dot com slash F-K-D-P, which stands for Fat Kid Dance Party, which is my aerobics class for anyone who feels left behind by mainstream fitness. If you've ever been called too much, too fat, or felt too awkward to dance, mine is the supportive class for you. Um, you get access to all of my Zoom aerobics classes at any level of support. Um, I also have an on-demand membership where you can um, work out with me at any time. There's more than 20 aerobics classes available for you in that membership. I also have a rental library. So if you don't wanna be a member, you can just rent a class. And that is, if you go to fatkiddanceparty.com and click let's party, it'll give you all the options and the rental library is there. Um, and also you can book to work with me one-on-one. I do Reiki. I'm a Reiki master healer, and I actually got Reiki certified on my level one because of my partner going through breast cancer because I was like, I want a thing I can do, even though Reiki is like energy healing, which you can't see, right? But like, it's a thing that I could do that I could offer and help. So um, I can also do Reiki with you, and I can also do business brainstorming and all sorts of other things. So work one-on-one with me or support the podcast through Patreon, or you could just send me a little Venmo tip. Um, I receive it all. I am really learning how to receive in this life. Um, I love you so much. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for liking and subscribing and all of the things. Um, And if you have uh, solo episode requests or anything like that that you think that I can help with, please shoot me an email, fatkiddanceparty at gmail.com. I love you very much, and I hope you have a great day.